0: I'll start with talking about what I mean by consciousness, because it's a word that is defined in many different ways and used in different ways. But for this topic or this talk, I'm going to use it in a certain way. And consciousness is the culmination of everything you've ever learned, everything you've ever perceived about the world, everything you've ever perceived about yourself, all thoughts, all knowledge, all beliefs. But it's also the real-time experience of a thought. It's the experience of a thought right now. So if there's a thought in your mind saying anything about this experience, anything about you, whether that's a self-referential observation or... A judgment about the experience or a judgment about yourself or someone else whether that's a memory about something that happened today or earlier in your life whether it's an image in the mind imagining something maybe a memory image or an image of something in the future It's also the sense of being you, the thinker, or you the sense of being right now that's receiving this message or hearing the words. If there is a sense of someone or something receiving this message or hearing this word, that is consciousness. It's also the space in which thoughts arise so it, it may appear as the feeling or experience of that which is there before a thought forms, and that which the thought forms from, and that which the, the thought disforms back into. We could call it a substance, we could call it an experience, or we could call it an appearance, but that's also consciousness. So consciousness is what makes everything I just mentioned that big list of experiences i just described consciousness is what makes that all possible and it's also the immediate experience of it um consciousness to uh, understand experientially requires us to Stop the flow of the mind long enough such that it suddenly dawns on us what that is experientially. And I think that happens. Well, I know it happens frequently for everyone, but it's not noticed as such for many people. And then as we either start to practice mindfulness or perhaps meditation um, or just become curious about consciousness and thought, we get glimpses of that. Um, it's a little hard to talk about that because it's not like it's not always there because it is always there, but we get glimpses of it as such, or perhaps the mind just slows down enough that all of a sudden we just have a, an experience that feels like an aha moment of the most primary experience. Maybe I could define consciousness as the most primary experience when we talk about experience in a literal way so we get tastes of it we touch into it or it's mm, comes forward in our experience often periodically and maybe more consistently when we take up let's say a spiritual practice a meditative practice a mindfulness practice but especially meditation and i think the the hindu systems um of meditation and uh, a lot. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not a huge. Um, I, I don't have a huge amount of knowledge about Hinduism, but I know something about Hinduism. Um, but I've also been exposed to like traditions that teach meditation and so forth. And I think they're very clear on this. Um, in fact, this is what's most emphasized in spiritual practices in in, in Hinduism from what I see my experience. Um, and. That's why you hear so much about consciousness being. um, And often the meditations are geared toward an experience of that. And the thing about consciousness, in the way I'm speaking about it, is the more you touch into it, the more you experience it, the more you are instinctually aligned with it, the more it feels natural to drop into it. Um, Unfortunately, the more you try to understand it, or conceptualize it, or grasp it with the mind, strangely, the more obscured the experience, the basic experience of it can get. So there's a little bit of a trap in trying to understand this too much. Uh, Once, once we have a very clear experience of unbound consciousness, then it's really obvious why that is. It's obvious why to think about consciousness or analyze it is is kind of useless because it's like, um, I don't know, like a it's like almost something like a projector. If you're using a projector and you're transfixed uh, on the images, the projector is projecting on a screen. You know and you've just always been looking at those images and i'm like well look back at the projector let's look at the internal workings of the projector itself but because you're the one running the projector and don't realize it then you start projecting images of projectors on the screen and you think that's what i'm talking about that's kind of an analogy right that's what happens for a long time until usually really until the first awakening i think until when that awakening occurs um even though you may not go oh i suddenly know what consciousness is and you think about consciousness and talk about consciousness you're so steeped in it that it's just obvious that something very different is occurring than what was experienced before and you intuitively know what it is but you may not have words for it i would call that an experience of being as consciousness or the experience of self as consciousness and maybe some traditions would call that self with a capital s i think that is what that is i think that's that's exactly what it is so so As we get these tastes of consciousness or we learn meditative practices that allow us to mm, taste it more frequently or more continuously, I think that's a good thing. But because of the problem of the projector I just pointed out, because that tendency is, I don't know, so strong, the momentum of it's very strong, um, you can meditate for years and, and experience consciousness, but not really... get something about it that is absolutely critical which is which is what I'm saying is like you look away from the screen and you look at the projector in a way in a manner of speaking you you suddenly realize that that what you were experiencing was a projection and now you you sort of know the mechanism this is where the analogy falls apart because it's not an understanding knowing it's you know the mechanism as the mechanism so you feel it not just Intuitively as something called consciousness, but like literally as everything, because as I said at the very beginning of this talk, what one of the very important aspects of what consciousness is in the way I talk about it is it's everything you've ever learned. It's everything you've ever learned. It's everything you've ever posited about the world, about life, about yourself that is made out of consciousness. Yeah. And so when we have a deeper taste of consciousness. You can see why it leads people to believe that what's out here or that the nature of reality itself is consciousness, but that's not actually what I'm saying. I'm just saying everything you know about the world, <laughs> everything you think you know about the world, the fact that you think that there's a world, all of that is actually made out of consciousness because it has to be. Yeah. So, um, this distinction isn't quite as important, but I just wanted to make it. And that is to believe that a rock is made out of consciousness or the, the whole entire universe is made out of consciousness is just a misunderstanding about the nature of consciousness, right? Just because the only way you can see it is through a veil of consciousness doesn't mean that what you're seeing through the veil of consciousness is consciousness. <laughs> yeah. But it does feel like that. It feels like everything is consciousness. It feels like everything is made out of consciousness. That's just your apparatus for experiencing the, the limitation there is the belief that experience is the only game in town. Experience is not the only game in town. It's the only game in the town called identity. But identity is not the only game in town. So there you go. Um, now, m- to, to put it bluntly it, what i would say is i thought i had experienced unbound consciousness through meditation before awakening but um but i hadn't for me until awakening it was very obvious or after awakening it was very obvious that what i experienced before wa- was something like um if, to use the projector analogy it was something like seeing the screen and all the images on the screen but like taking in the whole screen at once through meditation it was like oh, yeah, the whole thing. It's like all the edges soften when you're not identified with one part of it. You're kind of feeling the whole of it, right? You're feeling the whole of the screen, all of the light. You're like, oh, all that light is me. What more could there be, right? Not that it's me, but all of that light is consciousness. What more could there be? And you kind of experience a blurring of the whole storyline such that the mind gets very calm in a way, right? It's not making stark um, differentiation or boundaries. But it's definitely not the same thing as like, realizing the source of consciousness. That requires a shift in identity. It requires a alteration in what you take yourself to be. And then the mechanism, it's not necessarily understood, like you can't explain it logically, but it's known directly. And the mechanism is knowing. It is knowingness, pure knowingness. But you... Now, identity is not... Um, constructed as a a shadow of that knowingness identity is the knowingness that's that's what that's what happens so then you have do have access to unbound consciousness in a very direct way but in one way of speaking there's so many side effects to that in the awake there's so many side effects to an awakening like the exuberance the emotional outflow the um everything it's just a big shift it's a big change so you kind of get swept away by all that, in a way of speaking, and it can be easy to overlook the, the simple truth of knowingness. The simple truth of knowingness, which is really the upshot of what the awakening was. It's not everything, because it's really just the beginning of the unfolding process, but it's, it's everything when it comes to knowing. It's everything when it comes to thought objects and thought subject that's really the key is all of a sudden you know the thought subject as consciousness yeah that's what w- you didn't see before you weren't looking at the projector you were transfixed on what it was projecting <coughs> so um now you have access to that and so uh this is a subject i like to talk about because it's very helpful to uh, uh, so I'll, let me just talk about it more like from the timeline perspective so from the timeline of an awakening what often happens is right after awakening there's so much access to this that you just kind of close your eyes and just melt into everything you know it feels so simple so accessible you don't need a meditative technique it's nothing like that it's just like you close your eyes and it's just being this it's just this purity this release and that can feel for many people most people that's such a a huge relief in comparison to what was life was like before what it felt like to be in a thinking mind before that that um that it lasts quite some time and there's a there's an innocent sort of um surrender to it such that it's just there it's not it's not so much a technique it's just accessible and the moment you sort of disengage from the seeking apparatus of the mind the moment you disengage from heady conversations or interactions with people or activities, it's just there. You close your eyes and wow, it's just there. And it feels so restful and um, present and peaceful and blissful and all of it. So that is unbound consciousness, but it's not so much a practice as it is just there. Um, And that access doesn't really go away, Uh, even when the sort of honeymoon period uh, comes to a close. It's not like that goes away. It's just that um more um more hidden energies or energies that were hidden now come into consciousness and they have to and so now we're actually engaging the the unbinding process at a more physical and energetic level that's all that's happening and if that may sound simple and it is simple but it doesn't feel that simple it feels like really intense sometimes it feels like Your life is suddenly, uh, has suddenly become very gritty and painful and contracted and like working through really intense emotions and all this is happening. But it's also happening because of your access to consciousness, to unbound consciousness. That's what allows you to experience things in a far, far more direct way than you did when you were mind identified, when you were looking at the projection on the screen, which has a certain kind of St- the being transfixed by that projection or mind identification has a certain kind of stabilizing uh, effect but it's not stabilizing you in the physical experience of being alive it's stabilizing you in the mind it's stabilizing you in the in the dream and that's why i think it it's a, an apt analogy when people say it's, a, it's all a dream or it's all an illusion or a hologram that's that's what you wake up from um from from the the seeming conformation of experience that makes it feel holographic or like a dream or something. It's that distancing. And all of a sudden you wake up from that and now you crash back into the physical aliveness, the the energetic aliveness that you can't avoid like you could before. You still can for a while. You'll you'll find ways to do it. Or there's just a momentum to avoidance and disassociation and, and whatnot and distraction. But over time it gets harder to do that and, it, and the stakes for doing it get higher. And so you're sort of just forced to come into contact with things that previously were not even in the list of allowed experiences in the mind identified world, (laughs) they're not on the menu of that film, like that film, you didn't show yourself the film of what you're going to feel now. And so so it feels doesn't feel foreign, but it feels way more intense than you thought was possible. And what you used to think, think you could choose to just not experience that choice isn't there anymore, you're going to experience whatever you experience. And everything comes in. So then you learn, you know, these ideas about certain emotions are negative or whatever. It's not really so much like that. It's just that they were avoided. They were repressed. So, so now you don't have the convenient, but deluded choice to avoid them anymore. You just feel it. You just feel everything that's coming up. And, uh, that really is where we enter sh- like true shadow work. Uh, It doesn't again, it doesn't mean consciousness is suddenly not there. It's just that the the blissfulness of realizing that our access point to everything is consciousness, conscious contact, um, realizing that that now means that we have to come into contact with the deeper energies that are um, causing delusion Uh, and they're basically resistant energies of resistance but where that the space where that work is done is in the emotion body. So that's what the, the shadow work is about. Right. Um, I could get really technical about this and, um, and go in that direction, but I don't think, uh, I don't think that's really the point of this talk. So rather I would go rather go experiential and, um, but to do that, I do want to say a little more about this model I'm kind of using. Um, and that is that when we see or f- directly confront or are confronted with the truth that there's a lot of repressed ener- energies, there's a lot of tendency toward avoidance, repression, um, disassociation. When we recognize that that's happening and we feel how uncomfortable it is, which is good. It's good we feel that that's uncomfortable to, f- to resist because otherwise you would probably keep resisting one way or another. So we, it feels uncomfortable as that resistance is, is starting to melt away slowly. Uh, What what is actually occurring in in this sort of model is that the apparent split between the body and mind is, is dissolving. And all this there's not a split, there's not something distinct called a mind and something distinct called a body that are split up in some actual way. And then that we're going to sew that back together or something. That's not what I mean. It's just an, it's an experiential split. And that's why there was the screen. That's why we were able to to project onto something that's not there, uh, and project something that feels quite like we're in control in some way that we're not, and it also has a lot of avoidance that we don't even notice. So that, that what that is, is the, the, the mind space, the identified mind really distancing itself experientially from the physicality of being alive and all of the, the horrors that come with that, like I can die. I can become injured, all these things that um, I can be emotionally, oh, I'm, I'm emotionally um, moved and influenced by everything that goes on around me, whether I like it or not. That's that it, it all influences my experience directly. So you're you're recognizing directly that 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 actually is is not the case anymore. You don't have that. Mm, that escape route. So so yeah, what it looks like is the, the, the mind and body are starting to reintegrate maybe, um, which means consciousness and everything consciousness is coming into contact with. That's what it means. So consciousness is always in contact, but it used to create this standing wave of mind identification to where inside consciousness. There can be this sense of distancing and control and all of the illusions of, that are on the screen that sort of collapses in. And so it's just con- consciousness in contact with the five senses. That's what's happening now. And as you reorient to that reorient, because you did it when you were born and you did it until you were 18 months old or whatever. Uh, So you're reorienting to that way of experiencing as you're doing that, what's going away or what's being dissolved is resistance. So the reason I said all of that is to point out that part of this is about feeling emotion and sometimes even labeling emotion and sorting out what the heck you're feeling and why you're feeling it and how it's affected by others and how you affect other people and all of it right part of it is that and part of it is just directly experiencing the energy underneath the emotion or the sensation underneath the emotion that's a huge part of it but i will say that without this other part um that can just kind of keep going on and on and kind of become a closed loop like you don't break through something, something becomes, you can actually become identified as the one doing that kind of work. And you can, you can get kind of enmeshed with yourself and with others, and it can become manipulative and weird things can happen and all that. If you don't address this other part and the other part is the mind part and the mind part in, in the way I'm talking about is belief. So it's really important to engage, um, in what beliefs are actually driving your behaviors, what beliefs are driving your perceptions about situations, people, um, yourself. So so it's important to, to address that as well. And that occurs at the level of consciousness in pretty much one of two ways. One is directly confronting beliefs or directly inquiring into beliefs. And honestly, if, that, if you don't do anything else in, in the whole spiritual spectrum of things you could do, this is probably the one thing that's the most important and most powerful, but it's also overlooked. And that is engaging beliefs in a very objective way through inquiry again and again and again and again, because that will untangle all this for you. And the reason, the simple reason is there's nothing illusory or fundamentally deluded or um, the, I don't know, the ignorance, the, the sort of 10th fetter, the ignorance about the way th- this is isn't at the level of the body and it's not at the level of the energetics, it's at the level of the mind. Right, so the the subtle, unconscious, hidden beliefs are what's keeping suffering going, and you can you can address that. Like I said, at kind of two level, there's a lot of ways to go at it, but there's kind of two levels. One is what I was describing, which is inquiry, where you actually inquire into what do I believe about the situation, what do I believe about this person, what do I believe about myself, and there's a many ways to work with that. Once you start to pick up what you actually believe in a certain situation that may be causing your experience to feel this way or that way. But the other is um, meditative. It's, it's a, more, a little bit more, well, it's I guess a lot more passive, but it does work. It definitely works. And I, I think it's a very important part of this process. And it's something I try to encourage people to investigate their ability to do. Um, and there's a lot of variation here. Some people maybe through meditative experience are a little better at it. Uh, sometimes it just dawns on you in a certain way. But I do notice that after awakening, there's like a mm, a bit of a staccato ability to kind of do this. Like sometimes it's obvious. Other times it's just so obscure that it's hard to get to. Uh, but the, the more I think, the more clear you get, the easier it is to actually just rest in unbound consciousness and rest as unbound consciousness. And if you're doing this properly, um, and I think there is a, is a proper way, there's not an exact technique necessarily, but there's a, there, is a, there is a proper experience of resting in, in and as unbound consciousness. Um, and it is a sort of meditative experience, but you can also do it when you're not meditating. Uh, that does tend to dissolve these polarities and dissolve beliefs in a, more, a bit more of a passive way. But the more clear you get, the more you get good at also inquiry into beliefs and so forth the more that the passive dissolution of those beliefs can happen far more quickly and potently while you're experiencing or meditating with unbound consciousness. It it becomes, um, mm, it's just an intuitively obvious experience, I would say. And it's quite enjoyable. That's the fun thing about unbound consciousness. You can't necessarily force the experience all the time. But you can get very good at attuning to it. And when you're good at attuning to it and it's there, it's, it's, a, it's kind of an inherently enjoyable experience. Because what's not enjoyable um, is struggle. What's not enjoyable is resistance. And to um, utilize this, this practice I'm talking about, this unbound consciousness... Um, you you mechanistically have to know how to not resist within consciousness, how to not suppress within consciousness, how to not divide within consciousness. And I think it's not only, not only does it unbind us from beliefs passively, it unbinds us from the tendency to, to contract, it unbinds us from the tendency to divide. Uh, it does a lot of good. And it's a very in powerful practice. So it doesn't... Doesn't necessarily mean that everybody does this. Um, the practice is this way, but everybody has access to it, especially uh, the more they wake up. Um, I I saw somebody I won't like say who it was or anything. It's it's a person I that actually has a lot of very good insight. But they said something at the point to the to the um, effect of it was a post that like I think they literally said. That, you know, consciousness isn't something we worry about in Buddhism, that you can kind of take it all the way without without worrying about consciousness and all this and I'm not sure about that. First of all, it, it is mentioned in the suttas and um very clearly describes what consciousness is as as a reflective experience that is um that is distorting in nature. And there there are references to consciousness in Buddhism, of course. Um But the point of what I just said is that I think people can go through this whole process without overtly or directly experiencing what I'm talking about or practicing in this way. But it's not necessary. Um, Or or let me say it this way. It doesn't mean that any specific path precludes this. You can do this no matter what path you're on or how you understand things or what um, what kind of person you are or what kind of personality you have. Everyone has access to this. And I would say even, even after the, the realization of no self, you still have access to it. It's like a sense. It's like a sixth sense, you know? And that's exactly how it's described in the, in the suttas, in the Pali Canon. It's described as um, they're the six senses. So sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, and cognition, or mind. So that's exactly what it's like. It's like a sense. And you can rest attention in that sense, just like you can arrest attention in sound just like you can rest rest attention in body sensation, just like you can rest attention in the visual mosaic. You can rest attention in consciousness and it has a little different quality. Now there is a synesthetic experience in that's directly available with realization, deep realization, especially non-dual realization. You have uh, immediate access to, to this, this sort of undifferentiated, um, I can't even call it an experience, but it's an un, it's the unconditioned. You have a direct access to that, but it doesn't mean you can't modulate attention. You still can. And one way of doing that is to um, let your attention rest in unbound consciousness. So the best way to point us to that is to do it in a sort of experiential way. In fact, the only way to do that is to point, point it, us to it in an experiential way. So we'll do that. We're going to do a sort of guided meditation. You don't have to consider it a meditation. Just, just follow the experience and try to get a taste of what I'm talking about. Now, many people here probably drop into it easily. Um, and like I said, you can do it with your eyes open. You can do it even while you're speaking. Um, it's, it doesn't require us to become quiet, calm the mind, close the eyes, meditative uh, space, but it sure helps, especially early on. So you can have your eyes open or closed. It doesn't really matter. And all we're going to do is, um, in fact, let's start with the senses so we can put our attention in sound. So just try to take in all the sound. And notice you can kind of direct your attention to one sound. Pick a sound anywhere, or just a direction. Maybe there's a ticking clock somewhere, or a refrigerator. Kind of try to just direct your attention just to one sound if you can and then try to direct your attention to to the entirety of sound, which feels different. It doesn't feel like a direction of attention. It feels more effortless, but you sometimes have to remind yourself to do it because through momentum, we will often keep our attention fixated on one thing, one stream of thought, we all know this experience, without realizing we're actually putting effort into that, but it is a sort of momentum. So um, sometimes we have to break the momentum of overly focusing say in the sound field by opening our sound apparatus for, for experience wide open. Such that every quality of sound is immediately uh, available. Every location of sound is immediately available. Great. Now we'll do that with the sense, uh, a body sense. So we'll just start in the head anything you feel there in that space, any sensation on the skin surface, under the skin, anything that feels like a dullness in the head of the skull, behind the eyes, in the nose, mouth, cheeks, jaw, neck, the whole cloud of sensation there. And we'll open it up to the chest and belly, hips, hands, arms, just take it all in open up that aperture to the pelvis the legs knees shins calves feet toes every sensation at once just open that aperture 100% taking in every sensation without differentiating at all now you may notice other other sense fields kind of creeping in or just there like sound and that's okay but but we you probably notice you have the ability to focus more primarily on just the sensations, but with a wide aperture, not focusing in a specific location or direction or quality. Cool. Now we're going to do that with thought. So put your attention into wherever thoughts arise. Maybe a thought is arising about this practice right now. That's where I want your attention. Thought could be saying... I get it or I don't get it could be an image in the mind if your eyes are closed of something even something in the room or your body an image of you meditating or maybe you have some image of consciousness that's sort of like a cloud or a color that you often have when you meditate you don't realize it that could also be a mental image that is also made out of consciousness The image that represents consciousness is made out of consciousness. The words and narrative thinking about consciousness, including the word that you could mentalize internally, consciousness, is made out of consciousness. Just as every thought is made out of consciousness. So in the same way we did with the other senses, as we're noticing any thought, whatever thought, and we're oriented toward thought, we're not trying to get rid of anything. If there's a thought that says I'm trying to get rid of thoughts, that's also what we're orienting toward. So, as we orient toward any thought stirring, arising, forming, or just there, could be an eye thought, doesn't matter. We're going to make sure that aperture is wide open. We're not turning away from anything that's arising, such as a thought, but we're taking in anything else in that thought space. And as that aperture opens, we also notice whatever seems to be at the center of the aperture is also consciousness. It's the same stuff. It's the same knowingness. So the knowingness of thought, the knowingness of I, the knowingness of the thinker, the knowingness of the space in which this occurs, it is literally all exactly the same substance. It may have a sort of undulating quality. It doesn't have to. It may feel sort of vast, like an ocean. There may be a little bit of analysis going on melting into that ocean, but it doesn't have to be. It could be an image of an ocean. That's also just part of the ocean of consciousness. So this experience shows us that there's the, the mere potential for knowing is here, whether there's a thought formed or not. That's why we call it knowingness. The mere potential to know and the knower, the sense of being a knower, is not apart from the mere potential to know. The sense of being a knower is itself one more thought. So the space in which all of this is occurring is also just that, just the consciousness. It's the potential for knowing. So we just rest here, wide open, alert. Immediately aware of anything stirring in the form of thought, image. Nothing is left out, nothing is overlooked, nothing is divided. If analysis starts, notice that that's a thought and also that the sense of being the one analyzing, the one at the close end of the analysis is also a thought. If there's any thought about the body, also made out of consciousness. A label of the body anywhere, a label of a contraction, a label of comfort or discomfort, or how I feel right now. These are the thoughts that sneak in, and we don't realize the thinker, the thought, and whatever the image is. It's all consciousness. If there's an emotional experience, the label and narrative about the emotional experience is also consciousness. And the one that feels like it's happening to, like it's happening to me, but at the sort of proximal end or the subjective end of that experience of emotion and the label and story, that's also consciousness. And the, as we rest in this, as this, the gross forms of consciousness, meaning the more, um, it's not nothing solid here, but it feels a little more solidified. Those also often will soften. There's no center, no edge. Nothing is missed. Anything is allowed. There's no proper experience here. And there's no improper experience. But most importantly, nothing's overlooked. The aperture is wide open. So if there's a sort of strong thought or something that's really um, seeming to bind attention, that's okay. Just notice that that movement of attention toward a specific thought object, an image, re- experiencing something from the past or whatever it is. The attention of that is also made out of consciousness and we can just remind ourselves to keep the aperture wide open even if it feels somewhat focused on some certain thought, narrative, etc. The wide open aperture can still be there even if there feels like there's a a pull in this space of consciousness in one general direction. That's okay. That's what's underneath a contraction. That's what's underneath a strong belief. That's what's underneath an insistence to think about, focus on, push or pull on an experience, which we often consider to be outside or external. The beauty of this is we realize it's never been outside or external. <laughs> Even if we're playing it out with another person or another situation or whatever, it's all in here. And that's the beauty of it. You have access to everything. This is why we can... Dissolve these polarities, dissolve beliefs, because you have access to everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever believed, every interpretation that's ever affected your behavior, your speech, your self-reflection, it's all right here. You're in full contact with it. That's another beautiful thing about consciousness is if you're in contact with one thought, you're in contact with every thought. A very smart person said it this way, Uh, he would lead himself back to this experience by saying, anything and everything there is that is is me. Or I could say anything and everything there is that is is consciousness right here. So the beauty of this is, it's the opposite of psychological fear. Psychological fear requires something to feel external. With this, nothing feels external. You have access to everything, every space, every movement, every interpretation, every judgment, but they don't even really need a form here because you're in contact with the substance of thought, the thinkingness, the knowingness, the consciousness. This is a good practice. I recommend doing it frequently. Labels of the experience are also thoughts. Don't overlook that. Labeling it something. Bliss. Consciousness. Self. These are labels. Thoughts. Let them melt into the ocean of knowingness. Sometimes the little sneaky thoughts that are self-doubt thoughts come in here. Like, oh, I always get this far and then, right? Why do we believe that thought? Why do we not recognize it as a thought? Well, there's no real reason. The moment you really see it's a thought, then you notice, oh, just one more stirring in this ocean of consciousness. Just notice it. Oh, why haven't I woken up yet? I haven't had an awakening. Another movement of mind, another stirring of consciousness. Just be with it fully and let it dissolve. Keep the aperture wide open such that nothing is excluded. Only when a thought or interpretation like that is set on its own, it feels broken off, that's when it becomes polarized, when it catches attention, when we identify with it. If nothing is broken off, then you can't identify with it. Or you can't identify as the subject to that object because nothing here is broken off. Nothing here is ever separated or divided. So then we just remain here. It's the simplest exploration, really. Because in a sense, you're exploring with everything you're everything you meet on this exploration is seamless with what you're exploring it with and the sense of you the explorer it's all seamless so it's kind of as simple as things can get see as far as simplicity goes there's no division here there's no apartness nothing missing nothing hidden nothing lost the key really is just don't don't label it and don't buy into a, a narrative of the mind.